Hey there, I'm Christopher Schoenwald, and welcome to Life As A, a show intently focused on helping people find their professional pathway by exploring and unearthing the details of jobs from around the world. Big news, big news. I don't know if you caught this in the title there, but Life As A has hit the 100th episode mark. Yeah, and it is kind of a big deal. At least it is for me, you know, in, in starting this program. You don't really attach numbers of what you're going to achieve and where you're going to go with it all. But, you know, hitting this number kind of signifies a lot, you know, and I I wanted to take this opportunity to thank you as a listener, people who have been tuning in, whether it's from the first episode or whether you caught wind of this later on, and even those who just kind of periodically drop by. I do want to thank you all. And of course, all of the guests who have graciously given their time and shared a lot of their stories, wisdom, insight with listeners. So here's to another 100, and yeah, I look forward to interacting, introducing more careers, more stories, and all of that great stuff to you moving forward. How many of you are familiar with the term social engineering? Well, if you're not, don't beat yourself up. I mean, this is an area that is rapidly developing. It's only kind of come around in the last 10, 15 years or so. Now, we're going to get into all of that, what it means and what it is, but to give you a little bit of a heads up, you might be familiar with some of the information security threats that we face these days. You know, everything's going digital. We all know that, right? So you're probably aware of phishing websites, these websites that are set up to impersonate a legit one, but the aim is to kind of steal away your credit card details, password, you know, other sensitive information. There are other ways that this is done, voice phishing, you know, telephone calls that are aimed at, again, stealing away sensitive information, or even text messages as well with the same intent. That's part of the world of social engineering, you know, this influencing of others to take action that may or may not be in their best interests. So we have this really engaging guest on today, and it's almost a pioneer within this world of social engineering, this whole industry and how it's developed. His name is Chris Hadnagy, and he's the founder of this company. You're going to get to know Social Engineering LLC. In this conversation, Chris breaks down the role of a social engineer, you know, some of the tasks, some of the procedural elements to it all, and then some of the sexier aspects of it. I mean, there are some really, really engaging stories about some of his work. And spoiler alert, you know, some of them do involve the non-digital. So he's also contracted to For example, big banks, water treatment centers, hospitals, and his mission sometimes is to break into these facilities and to show some of the vulnerabilities to these companies so they can better prepare themselves. But let me tell you, some of the stories attached to this work are going to kind of blow your mind. Well, that's one element yet you're not going to want to miss. Beyond that, we get into some other topics related to social engineering, such as behavioral science. We also have a look at AI and how that is completely upending the whole game. And Chris even shares some of his insights as far as what it takes to become a great social engineer. So there's so much more covered in the talk, but I do really want to get into it all right now with you. So why don't we? Chris Agnaghi is the founder and CEO of Social Engineer LLC. During Chris's 19 years in the information security industry, he created the world's first social engineering framework and newsletter, as well as hosted the first social engineering-based podcast. Chris is also a well-known author, having written five books on social engineering. His new book, Human Hacking, Win Friends, Influence People, and Leave Them Better Off for Having Met You, was released January 5th, 2021. Chris is also an adjunct professor of social engineering for the University of Arizona's NSA-designated Center of Academic Excellence in Cyber Operations. He also lectures and teaches about social engineering around the globe. Moreover, he's been invited to speak at the Pentagon, as well as other high-secure facilities. Additionally, as the creator of the world's first social engineering Capture the Flag, S-E-C-T-F, Chris leads the way in educating people on this serious threat. And Chris works with some of the world leaders in scientific research for the purpose of acquiring a deeper understanding of social engineering. Notably, Chris authored a book with Dr. Paul Ekman regarding the use of nonverbal communication by social engineers. Now, certification-wise, Chris has got it covered there too. 
He is certified as an Offensive Security Certified Professional, OSCP, as well as an Offensive Security Wireless Professional, OSWP. He's also the creator of the Social Engineering Pentest Professional, SEPP, Certified Ethical Social Engineer, CESE, and has a Master's Level Social Engineering, MLSE, certifications. Now, to sum up much of what Chris believes, here's a quote from him. Understanding the ways human make decisions is integral in everything we do from maintaining security to communicating with the people in your life. Social engineering skills, when used properly, can make your life so much better. So with all of this noted, here's my conversation with Chris Hadnagy. Yeah, so welcome to the program. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing great. Nice to, nice to be here, Chris. Yeah, really excited to have you on the program here. And I would like to jump into things right away. I have this first segment lined up. It's something called Coloring Wikipedia. As listeners to my program know, it's a segment where I just read off a definition related to what the guest does. And I find it interesting in the sense that uh, the definition we're going to go with here, social engineering from Wikipedia, is something that you actually wrote. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think we'll hear it and then I'll tell you if it's the right one or not. (laughs) Okay, okay. This might be a first. This might be a first for the Life As A program, but let me read this off for you. Social engineering. And it is just very short and sweet here, but here we go. In the context of information security, social engineering is any act that influences a person to take an action that may or may not be in their best interests. Just going to go with a short one there. I love it. That That is the definition I came up with about 13 years ago because I did not like the definition that was about manipulating someone to always do something that was bad for them. Okay. All right. Well, maybe you could add to that or, or maybe color it, sure. if you will. So for me, um, when I looked at social engineering, I wanted to understand how humans make decisions, right? And And to understand that, it's really hard to analyze the bad parts, like the malicious parts, because for us, it's you can only do that after the fact, right? After an attack occurs or after something like that. But I found that the very same emotional set or sets of emotions or brain chemistry that would occur in a good setting could be in the bad setting, but used for a different purpose, right? Like, let's look at an example of a con man. Con man makes you feel happy. He makes you feel trusted. He he makes you smile. He has got great nonverbals. And then you trust him and you give over money or product or whatever it is. So you start to analyze the 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 way that we make decisions as a as a human and what brain chemistry is involved in that and what physiology is involved in that and I started to study all of that and said you know what social engineering is something we all do every day uh, we we do it with our mates our spouses our partners our kids our clergy therapists whatever it is our, our people that work for us our bosses we're using elements of influence and rapport and elicitation but our purpose generally for most of us is not to get someone to do something bad. Now, on the malicious social engineer side, they're trying to get you to click a link or give money or credit card or something worse. So the definition, I, what I, the reason I liked that one is because it, it colored it both from the bad side, but also allows us to say that these very same skills can be used for the good side. The analogy I always love to use is like a knife. You can go and get a really amazing chef's knife. And it can be a beautiful tool in the kitchen. It can help you make amazing meals. Or if you're not a great person, it can be used to hurt somebody. So it's the same exact thing, but, and it can be used for multiple different purposes. And that is social engineering. Yeah, I like that. I, I think that's an important distinction there. I think a lot of the uh, the information on social engineering right now, a lot of the uh, discourse on it is trending towards the other side, that manipulation and whatnot. Obviously within the press, within the media, you know, there's a lot of cases of this going on. And that that word, that term gets easily attached to to some of those malicious acts that have been taking place. But to hear that other side is certainly an important one, an important distinction. And, you know, and even in our industry, it, it, that that is the case, right? So we, I was just reading something in the Wall Street Journal about companies uh, in America that are, you know, suffering with some financial woes. And then they tell the employees, look, we're doing bad. Things aren't great. There's no money for bonuses. And then the IT guy sends a phishing email about the bonuses. And to me, that is a a terrible way of educating your staff to the dangers of phishing because you're you're taking their livelihood, something that we all need to eat and and clothe ourselves and sleep and to take care of our families. And you're saying, yeah, your livelihood is being affected because our company is not doing that great. And then the IT guy swoops in and uses that livelihood as a way to test your security vulnerabilities. And, you know, to me, I, I think of this like if you're a parent and I'm a parent, if my if my kid did something wrong and I humiliated them in front of all their friends, 
they're not going to want to listen to me. They're not going to be like, wow, that's a great dad. I love him. They're like, he's a jerk, right? So when you do that to your employees, where you use something that they were very emotional about and you humiliate them, it's it doesn't it doesn't build an environment where people want to learn from you. So we see that malicious side not just on the you know the bad in the the like what happened with MGM and the hackers around the world, but also we're we're seeing it slip into our even our industry, and the malicious side is being used in a bad way. Really quickly, like broadly looking at social engineering as this field as this field of study. I mean, historically speaking, I'm assuming it's it's fairly new. I mean, it's integrating a lot of aspects of technology, but some of the the, the human elements to it, behavioral science, been around forever, of course, as we were just kind of speaking about. But in terms of social engineering really taking off or, or aligning to its present day course, when when did all this kind of come about? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so. Like, I think you mentioned it, right? So the human deception and, and manipulating people has been around for as long as people have been walking on the earth and communicating, right? That has just been the way it, that sadly it has been. And you can read uh, any of the old historical books and there was always con men and there was always phishing scams. They were just maybe not through email, right? There was always these things. But, and this is going to sound really self-aggrandizing. I don't mean it this way, but uh, I'll give you a little history Kevin Mitnick was a very, very famous social engineer. Uh, sadly, he passed away recently. Uh, he was a good friend of mine that turned around and was turned into a good guy, right? So he got arrested for social engineering, Altel and the FBI, and using his skills to steal things like phone plans and other things that that really caused a lot of problems with him and the law. He ended up in prison for a while, got out, turned his life around, reformed. I found his story fascinating. So I would always read the books that he put out about the things that he did. And I didn't know him at the time, but I would I would read this. And I would read books by people like Frank Abengale, who, you know, he was a famous con man. That movie, Catch Me If You Can, was was uh, loosely based on some of his escapades. And I started to be in, in this field, which was at the time we call it, we call it adversarial simulation, where we simulate to be the adversary. And companies, and we're going back now 15 18 years, maybe let's say between 18 and 20 years ago, started hiring companies like ours to, to make believe we were the bad guys and test their, their vulnerability. And I found that I was really bad at code writing, but I was really good at people. But when things would work, uh, I didn't understand why. So I started to read like all these books you can see behind me on persuasion and influence and nonverbals and all these other things. And I started to write what became the social engineering framework. And it was not something I had planned on doing, but I just wrote it and thought, wow, this is really helpful. Maybe People can use this. And I put it online for free. Uh, it still lives there, social-engineer.org. And uh, when that came out, Kevin Mitnick's publisher called me and asked me to write a book. And that was in 2009. So my very first book came out in the very beginning of 2010. And that is what formed this as an industry. And before then, people weren't doing this as a job. And then when that book came out, people started learning about it, reading about it. Uh, I was getting asked to consult and get hired at companies to do this. And slowly it became a job where now you'll see people hiring for social engineers, right? Yeah. And it, it became an actual thing. Wow. What a story. Yeah. What a story. I mean, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a weird story. It feels weird to say really? it because I, I don't know. It just feels weird. It's not, I didn't, I wish I was like a, I don't know, like a Bill Gates or something. Like <laughs> I planned this. I knew this was going to happen. And I did this on purpose because I had this genius forethought. Yeah. I kind of just stumbled and fell in into it. It was like a, a mistake that turned into something great. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you, you know like I don't have any stats on that at all, but I don't imagine most most people's kind of success kind of stems from a lot of serendipity and a little, you know, some passion, some some ideas that, you know, yeah. in the course of time sort of formulate and come together into something else. So I, yeah, I'd imagine. I would agree. Like, go easy on yourself there. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we could slide into this other segment here, Chris. A day in the life, and uh, this might be a difficult question. You know, what would a day for you look like? You know, in in your world and what you're involved in, roles, responsibilities, all that stuff. Yeah, boy. So you know, I I, I love. I want to. I want to end it with the exciting stuff because I would say when people hear the stories of what we get to do for a living, they're like, that would be the most amazing job ever. And and the amazing stuff is about ten percent, fifteen percent, let's say around there. The rest of it, the rest of the percentage. All involves things like meeting with people, report writing, talking to clients who don't understand what just happened, writing education that helps uh, bolster, uh, doing research, right? You can, this this field, in, in this field, and I'm sure in a lot of fields, it's the same. You can't rest. I can't say, well, look, I learned that five years ago, so it's good. Science is changing every day. The way that we understand how the brain works is changing every day. And even though I'm not a psychologist or, 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 or a researcher, I have to keep up on that research. 
Otherwise, I'll be left behind and and using something that's five years old. And you know, Dr. Abby, she works with us now, and and she's been integral for us there because she'll take something and she'll hear me give a speech. She'll go, "Hey, by the way, we got to change that. There's some new science on this." So having someone like that in your life is amazing because she uh, she finds joy in reading scientific papers, which is just a little weird to me. But you know, <laughs> don't let her hear me say that. She thinks it's fun, but they're just really long and boring. But this is what she does for her pastime. So I would say that's that that seventy eighty percent. That's a uh, uh, 85%. That's, uh, that's the boring stuff. But then the exciting stuff is like in my career, I've got to send uh, 19 million phishing emails in wow. my career. That's a right? number. So I've got this. Yeah. It's a huge number. And I got to fish 19 million people, right? I've gotten to break into banks all over the world. Uh, I've gotten to break into secure government facilities that are fully armed. Oh um, I got to break into uh, water treatment plants and healthcare centers, yeah. hospitals, you know, you just name it. Yeah. And I've gotten to do things that like my brain goes, what? I think, you know, just that uh, was it two months ago, th- myself and two other people from the company, we went into broke into a facility and the way we breached it, because this facility was covered in a fence with barbed wire. Uh, we swam across a river holding a ladder wow. and then, and then put the ladder up against the barbed wire fence and use some towels we brought from the hotel to to breach the, the barbed wire fence. Oh I mean, it's like, I'm in the middle of this river. It's one o'clock in the morning. It's pitch blackout. And yeah. I'm like, what am I doing? What yeah. am I, what am yeah. I, I'm swimming across a river with a metal ladder. Like what's happening yeah. in my life, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, so for context and, really yeah, quickly here, I, I must add that, I mean, you are contracted to these organizations. They're hiring oh, you to do these wow. things as well. <laughs> I want to make that That's clear a really here. great point. That's a really <laughs> great point. Yes. Uh, you did not have a a professional thief or criminal on your podcast. No, <laughs> we we don't no. go down that path on life as a. Well, we don't go down. Not that yet, path. at least. Yeah, everything <laughs> everything is legal. So what happens is these companies, like I'll give you an example. This particular organization uh, was worried because they had some threats uh, from terror organizations and uh, threats of like we're gonna like we can we can kill everyone in your town if we poison the water plant. So what they wanted us to do was say, okay, is that even possible? We think we're secure. We got cameras, we got motion sensors, we got this, we got guards, we got all of this. So they hire us to simulate a terror group, but of course we don't poison anything. But can we get to the water tank? Can we get our hand over the water tank, a picture of us holding nothing, but just our hand, and we could have dropped something in there. And if we get to that point, then we tell them how we did it. So that way they can fix the problem before a terror group would ever be able to do it. And to me, the companies that think this way, these are proactive, really intelligent companies because they're not saying, let me wait until I get hacked you know, and people die or jobs are lost or millions of dollars are lost. Let's do it before bad things happen and we'll fix the problems preemptively. So yeah, it's all legal, all above board, all by contract, but they they have that thought process of saving the organization before something bad happens. Yeah. Yeah. No, getting back to that, that sentiment that you're just kind of sharing there as yeah. well, like unbelievable. Yeah. Re- really quickly, were yeah. you successful or not? We were. Yeah. So, wow. so like, here's the crazy part. Not only were we successful, but after we breached this place, we, uh, we were sneaking around and inside one of their trucks, they left the car keys. So I call my point of contact and I'm like, Hey man, I know this is a rude question, but I, one of the rules you have right on the board is the key cars need to be locked. There's keys in it. Can I steal the car? And he's like, Oh man. He's like, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> He's like, go ahead, but you got to, you got to bring it to the government parking lot. You can't keep it at your hotel because you'll get arrested. And I'm like, no problem. We stole the car, right? We stole the car. Like we got into a car and stole it and drove away in someone else's car. Like, yeah, tell me that that's going to be my job. Yeah. I'm like, what? No. Yeah. Like I, when I, the young me would have looked at you like you're nuts. Okay. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. No. That's not going to happen. And that's what we did just a couple months ago. Wow. You know? Wow. What a story. I mean, really quickly, just, this question just popped in my mind. I'm like, Obviously, again, you're contracted to these organizations, but like, to what degree do other employees within our organization know that something could happen? For example, if they have guards, presumably are armed, who don't know, yes. you know, like, how do you, like, how does that work? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question because we did, we broke into, uh, Ryan and I, um, last year, we broke into a facility that was heavily armed. Uh, all of their guards were ex-Special Operations Command, right? So these weren't just armed guys, like they all had AR-15s and they're, they're, they're skilled. So, you know, but to make it real, they can't know that we're breaking in. Right, right. So, you know, we, of course, ask questions, which is, you know, what's the mentality? And, and be realistic with us. Is yeah. the mentality shoot first, ask later, or is it arrest and apprehend? Yeah. And if they're if they're like, uh, I'm not sure, 
then we're like, okay, we need to put some protocols in place because this is like, yeah, I don't, you know, as I'll be a risk taker, but I feel like dying, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly. Um, but if the answer is no, we always apprehend first and we only shoot if someone pulls a weapon, you know, then I'm like, okay, so we could try this. Right. And, and that, that did, ha- we didn't get shot, but that did happen where we were chased by eight guys with AR-15s. Um, oh my gosh. um I, I, I did run, uh, but I didn't have a weapon and nobody got shot. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's a good thing. But then the next time, you know, we were in the same place and a uh, different, different pretext, a different day. And we did get arrested at gunpoint. Uh, and everybody was really calm. Like they yeah. were really calm, but they handled themselves professionally. Yeah. We were slammed on the ground. We were cuffed. There was guns pointed at us, but it was nobody. I did not feel like I was about to die. I felt like I was getting arrested and that was it, you know? Yeah. So it's, you know, I, I know that like sounds crazy to talk about that. No, yeah, it does. But, you know, <laughs> it it, does. I, I, I hear myself, I'm hearing it and like, okay, yeah, Chris, maybe you should take that a little more seriously. And, you know, my wife hates this because well, I'll call her before these jobs and I'll be like, yeah. hey, just saying I love you in case, you know, and she's like, I oh, these calls, you know, all the time. And right. I'll call my daughter and my son before I go, just, hey, just saying I love you, yeah. you know, because you never know. But, you know, so far, so good. Yeah. You know, 15 years. Uh, I've, I've been arrested a few, uh, you know, and when I say arrested, uh, we we never get booked. So I have mm-hmm. no charges against me. Yeah. Like when we get arrested, we have a, we have what's called a get out of jail free letter which is a letter that's signed by all the officials of the company right. that says we're authorized to do this. And yeah. it has phone numbers that they can call to get somebody to say, yes, yeah. we know that guy, you know? Yeah. So, but we get cuffed and we mm. get, we get apprehended and sometimes we get put in a car, but we don't get booked because we're authorized to be there. So, you know, in that particular week, uh, let me see, Ryan and I were out there for five days. Uh, we broke in six times successfully. We got arrested four times. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, interesting line it of words. But that, that that's ten yeah, percent. Yeah. That's ten percent of kind of. That's what, the ten. Yeah. That's the ten percent. You know, I mean, I wish I can say we do the, one of those every week. That would be a ton of fun. Yeah. Uh, but that particular job, I can tell you, the report was a hundred and something pages. Wow. Right, because we did phishing for them, we did phone calls, we did OSINT, which is open source intelligence, and then we did physical break in. So by the time we're done with all of that work. Writing the report is like writing a small book, you know, trying to tell the story of no how we did it. And plus, you got pictures and you got artifacts you have to hand in. That took a lot of time and effort. So, if I did one of those a week, I would need a team of people that were literally were just writing reports because yeah. the reports take three weeks to write right. after you're done doing a one week job. Yeah, you know, yeah. so it's a uh, it's not it's not a fair trade off, which is why when people hear the uh, the sexy part, they go, "Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun." I'm like, "Okay, yes," but then remember when you're done. Yeah. You You're writing a hundred page report, right? Yeah, so yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And I imagine even just like the, the pre-planning for something like that as well would take a, a significant amount Weeks. of time. Yeah. When we do the um OSINT, the open source intelligence, that's helping us develop what we call our pretext. And our pretext will be the act that we're going to use to break in. Because we're doing daytime and nighttime entry. And at daytime, you can't just walk in as a hacker. You know, you got to walk in. Uh, for that particular one, we use photographers for a local newspaper. Hmm. Uh, for the other one I was telling you about, we used uh, pest control. Hmm. Uh, we used the internet company, right? So you yeah. have to know our OSINT has to tell us, well, who is their pest control? Who is the internet company? Uh, what kind of outfits do they wear? Can we get badges and shirts made up that look like it? We have to go in prepared. So yeah. that takes a lot of time to not just look it up, but then to get you know outfits made and things like that that help us with our with our job. Wow. Absolutely fascinating, though. I got to say, yeah. even though it is just 10%, hey, that's a, uh, yeah. Yeah. it's it, And, you know, some months it's more, some months it's less, but, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I just, I, I, I could be a little more than 10%, but I just like to paint that picture because yeah. young guys and gals who hear this right. and they want to go into information security, they think it's going to be like a Mission Impossible movie every yeah. day. And I'm telling you, it's not, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe you could slide over in this other segment here, Chris, of Pathways, and returning to you in your past, maybe, and, and in terms of how you made your way into all of this, you kind of hinted at this already off the top a little bit, but, you know, 19 years in IT, IT security, you know, I'm guessing you might have started off within computer studies and threat management on the digital yep. side, but what really interests me here is how you decided to take it from the digital into the physical, as we were just speaking about right there. Where did that kind of come about? Maybe you could fill listeners in on, on that sort of journey or that path. Yeah. So I kind of gave you some of the story before, so I'll pick up on that story. I, I was with a company and they did a lot of exploit writing and network testing. So a lot of hacking networks. And I, I found that I just wasn't good at coding. It wasn't the way my brain worked, which is when I started reading all those books about humans and influence and all that. And then I would say, hey guys, while you're writing code, can I try an email, a phishing email? 
And everyone would be like, yeah, I guess you can try. I mean, I don't know if it'll work, right? So I'd send an email and I'd get a password. Like, what? Someone gave me their password over an email? Like, what? And then I'd try calling. Hey, this is Paul from IT. Uh, we had a we had a database drop last night. I need to reset the password for you. Can I walk you through it? And I would give them a password and they would enter it. And now we had their password, right? Uh, and these things were working, but I didn't know why. And that's the part that irritated me because I'm like, anyone can do this, but it's like, you know, I give this analogy. If you were to go to an auto mechanic and you were to say, hey, I got a, some squeaky thing here. And they go, yep, that's the brakes. Great. Can you fix it? Nope. You're a useless auto mechanic, right? So don't, <laughs> yeah. don't tell me there's a problem. And I thought that's what I was, a useless auto mechanic. As I can tell them, we broke in, we did this thing, we used phishing, but I couldn't tell them how it worked. So we can't fix it. So that's when I started writing that framework. And when that framework came out, that was 10 months of work for me. I, I did between 2008 and 2009. Uh, when that framework came out in 2009, it, it, was, it was like a college education for me, having read all of these books and documenting the way all of this stuff worked. Uh, and it's a living document. We constantly change it as science changes and things are updated. And that book deal that I got from Kevin Mitnick's publisher also was a, a learning experience for me because I first said no to that book. I was like, I'm not an author. I'm just a, I'm just a guy that breaks stuff, you know? And she was really convincing and my friends were convincing. I wrote that book and in writing out a manual on how to be a social engineer, what I found was, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually learning. Like I'm writing. I know and I'm like quite a bit about this stuff more. now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then as the book came out, I went, oh, I can, I can do this. Right. And that was my full transition, but not a hundred percent. I said, I can do this. And then the thing that happened was I, I came home one day. And I said to my wife, and I was at the time, she had worked our whole married life up until then. And she she was pregnant with our daughter. And she said, I don't want to work anymore. Once Amaya came around. So she said, I want you to be the breadwinner. And I want to stay at home with the kid. I'm like, okay, that's great. So I'm I'm working. And my wife is home, my daughter. And I come home and I say, hey, I want to quit my job. And I want to start a company that does only social engineering all the time. And she goes, okay, uh, how many people on earth do it? And how much do they make? And I went, well... <laughs> Zero is the number of how many people. So I can't answer the second question. She's like, oh, you know, can I think about it for a couple of days? I'm like, of course. So a couple of days later, we had a conversation and she said, let's try it. You know, let's, let's see. And um, within a month, I had a, my first client, a very large bank that was very progressive and said, we really want to learn how to defend against social engineering and our phishing program really needs help. And I came on and I worked with them for five years, uh, not as an employee, as a consultant fixing their phishing problem. We were done. They had an 87% reduction in malware on their network, real malware on their network reduction because of our phishing program. And I went, this is what I was meant to do. Like I was meant to do this for a living, you know? And yeah, I think it was that that process, you know, that first few years of running this company where I'd realized that I, I can do so much more. And then I wrote my training classes and I got to work with some amazing people on, on in, in the science community and, you know, since 2010 till, till now, it's just been a nonstop uh, wild ride of, of constant learning and growing in this field. Yeah. Yeah. I, when you're just explaining that, like the growth of it all as well, you know, yeah. whether by, but by choice or not, I mean, like as you hinted yeah. at already, I mean, technology is changing, you know, tactics are changing and basically all those things represent new variables, right? New variables constantly being added into all of this. So like, yeah, I can see why, you know, this framework would be a living, breathing entity unto itself. You're constantly updating it, constantly editing in new research, new science. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a lot. And I mean, that, that framework as well, I mean, I had a look at it online and it is quite expansive. Like there's a lot to it there. And even just like within it, I'd imagine maybe in the beginning you could have had one or two people in terms of their specialities, you know, fitting a lot of these roles. But now when I was getting a look at it, like the I'm assuming there's a lot of like specialized fields within social engineering now. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if that's. No, no. To be like, let's say a social engineer for a company or a consultant, you need to kind of have knowledge of all of those things. But you're right. Like there's a lot of companies right now that are hiring psychologists for their fishing department to help write fish and education that will have a, a, a positive and a more uplifting effect on their people. That to me is a wonderful, like when I hear a company do that, I'm like, this is awesome, right? Like hiring someone that understands how the brain works for one specific purpose to make our fishing program better. Great. That company should be lauded. They should be applauded. That's a beautiful thing, right? So there are very many specifics in that. You know, I have some good friends that work for large banks and in their SE department, you know, they manage just the voice phishing, the vishing uh, part of it. 
So there's a lot of specializing in it. But for me, like for someone in my field, I have to understand it all because a company that comes to me and asks for help, I can't be like, well, I only deal with this one out of four vectors. I have to know it all. And that's why it's for this, for you to be really great in this field, you have to be someone who's passionate about learning and reading. You're going to be learning your whole time. And you can, if I ever sat back and I told my my family and my friends this, if you ever hear me say, well, I got it. I know everything. Just slap me, right? Because I've hired people. I had this, uh, you know, we had this this young woman that started with us, not from the field. Uh, I think she was a, a hotel accountant uh, when she started with us. And we had this really heavy job. The The nature of the job was we, we set up for this company something we called the color of the day. So they were having problems with vishing, with voice phishing. And to authenticate people, um, we we set up a system for them where on their intranet only, a, a color of the day would would uh, would kind of rotate every day. And it wouldn't be something like green or blue. It'd be like, you know, chartreuse green or sea foam yellow or something like that, right? Something unique. And now if someone calls you and they say, hey, this is Paul from IT. Okay, Paul, hang on. What's the color of the day? If they don't have it, you hang up, right? And this was effectively stopping their vishing problems. It was really great. But now they, you know, we're working with them and they're like, we really want you to test this. There's got to be a way to bypass this. And here I am. I'm th- I mean, I've been doing this 15 years at this point, And I'm like, no, no, this is going to be really hard, but we'll try. And here's this woman, brand new to the industry, you know, hotel accountant. And we're, okay, you know, you got to go figure this out. See how how you do this. And she makes the call and says, oh, I got to do a password change. And the person says, what's the color day? Oh, uh, you know, I, I I have to go check it. And she goes, what? So you're telling me you don't want to do the, the password change? No, I, I can't because uh, I, I, I can't verify you. And they go, okay, no problem. She types on her keyboard. She's like, I just need to enter. I need you to verify that you're an employee so I can say that you're rejecting the password change. What's the color of the day? And the person gave it over. Just like that. And I was like, she reversed it. Yeah. And yeah. I, I never How thought clever. of that. How like intuitive. you call up and you ask for the verification code because you can't give them information about yeah. your call even until you verify them. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, so I learned something from a brand new person in the industry yeah. that I wouldn't have thought of myself. Mm. And she thought of it and she taught us all how to, how to how, so I was like, that's phenomenal to me. Like you, you know, here's somebody doing it for 15 plus years and yeah. you just started and you're the one who taught. So the day you think you know everything, that's the day you should probably throw the towel and go do something else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, speaking from my own experiences in running this program and speaking with professionals mm. representing a wide array of careers, you know, entrepreneurs as well. It's that. I think that's what always ties yeah. into the levels of passion, enjoyment, and drive, fulfillment, all those great things. It, yeah. It's just that. It's, it's that kind of constant learning and joy towards it. You know, when you, if you don't have that, typically yeah. you're, you're going to be lost. That's a nice point. But I like, I like the thing you said too, the joy towards it. I think yeah. that's an important point. I like that you said that. Really quickly, in terms of this framework, and we've been speaking about it a little bit right now, I know it's it's tough, and it, as I said, it is quite expansive, but just for the, the sake of listeners, could you just give a, a really brief overview of what's contained within it, just to kind of color that picture a little sure. bit? Sure. So it has it has a few things. First and foremost, at the very, very front of the framework is is a code of ethics, like how to use this. And I know it's just written words. And I know for a fact, as we've been told, that bad organizations have used our framework to outline their attack vectors. But I wrote it there because I wanted people to understand that if you're going to use my work, this was my intended purpose, that there has to be a moral compass. And then we start off looking at historically, how is social engineering used? So con men, scam artists, famous hackers, and analyzing how they used it. But then from there on, it's literally the psychological and the physiological skills like rapport building, elicitation, influence, manipulation, nonverbals, uh, all these things that make up how we communicate with another person. And that communication could be used to divert their attention or or their access or or their desires to do something that they shouldn't do. Okay. No, I think that paints a nice picture and kind of brings it all together, you know, colors of the yeah. conversation that we've had already on that. This other question here as well, like I know a big part of your work is also speaking with individuals, giving lectures on this. You've been invited to to give talks at places like the Pentagon, for example, or other high secure facilities. And without getting into some of the details here, and you just mentioned this code of ethics and being an important part of, of what you do, are you ever approached by organizations or government or, or non-government that are looking towards a cyber warfare you know, uses of, of some of this? I mean, I, I not going to be naive. I would assume that that would maybe come up in conversations at different points, but 
What would you say to that? Yeah. So yes, obviously um, we've, I mean, going to the Pentagon, the main question the Pentagon has was how is social engineering being used against us as a nation state? Yeah. Right. What do you know about that? Yeah. Uh, that's a big deal, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and this was many years ago. I think now people would go like, that wasn't last week. So don't, don't cut anyone down. Right. Cause nowadays it seems very obvious, but that's a big deal. Right. Yeah. I mean, looking at nation state attacks now with that, I've also been invited by foreign governments that I wouldn't work with. Mm -hmm. Right. And, 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 you know, without naming anything, I've been invited to give classes in certain places where, you know, where my co-trainer is, is a female and I was told I'm not allowed to bring her. Hmm. And I would decline those trainings because I'm like, see, my my version of teaching social engineering is to enhance security and enhance communications yeah. for companies. And I can't do that if I feel like I have to demean or put down or devalue someone on my team who is my co-trainer. Yeah. So I usually I say, sorry, nope, I, you know, we're we're not available. You know, sorry, we're not we're not the right, we're not the right company for you. Mm. Uh, mm. Our training is in a different path kind of thing. You know, so I, it, yeah, we have been approached and I, and I did a, I did a speech in Russia uh, once and I was approached by someone who I could swear was KGB. All he gave me was a, a white card with a number on it and that was it. And he just said, I need you to call this number before you leave Moscow. And I'm like, no, thank you. Yeah. And he got up and he put the card in my pocket and he said, you'll call the number. And I'm like, okay. I didn't call the number by the way. And we got the heck out of there. But yeah, so I've been, I've, I've been in some sketchy situations where I'm like, yeah, I know what, I know what they want from these skills and I'm just not willing to, yeah, I'm just not willing to do it. Yeah, no, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, it, it, it sounds also plausible that these types of encounters or situations would arise from the sensitivity of, of your work and what, you know, it offers. And yeah, quite frankly, like the day and age we live in right now, like it's all of it's being accentuated. It seems like a, a lot of those skills are becoming much more highly valued and, and just like the nature of the, the, the world that we're living in right now. People are a little bit more forward in how they're going about things. And these nation state attacks seem to be a little bit more widespread than what they might've been back in the day. I don't know. Maybe it's the 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 influence of oh, digital yeah yeah and all these things so yeah i can see how put you in some precarious situations perhaps at times <laughs> i mean look at what happened with mgm right if you haven't heard about that news uh mgm was hacked and it was done through um one 10 minute phone call and they got the person to install malware right so one yeah. vishing call and um, they, they were doing research for probably months and months and months before one pair of malware on the uh on the network of, through a phone call they're down a hundred million dollars in loss. Right. Wow. So this is, this is a huge problem. Yeah. Right? This is not, we're not talking like, and, and, and you can take that all the way down to grandma and grandpa who are getting hacked uh, through vishing calls where someone's calling and saying, Hey, the, grandma, this is Chris. I was with my buddies yeah. at a bachelor party and I got drunk and I got beat up and mugged and I'm in jail. Can you get me 5,000 for bail? I'll pay you as soon as I get home. Grandma wires $5,000 and she's out money. Yeah. Right. And it's uh. Uh, everyone, everything from that huge MGM to grandma and grandpa, they're all social engineering, but yeah. we're just seeing it being used on a scale to the billions of dollars a year. Yeah. So it's, this is not a small problem that's going away anytime soon. No, most definitely. I mean, I'm not sure if you're aware or not, but I mean, this program is produced out of Japan. That's where it's coming from, but no, you know, I this, didn't. yeah, um, yeah. Like this type of thing is in, in the news here as well. Same thing, yeah. you know, it, it, it's yeah. taking place and it just sort of like popped in my mind, like. Some of the principles that would be interesting, like from the, the human behavior standpoint, the, the cultural layers to it as well. You know, obviously, like how it would be done over here within Japan would be playing on a lot of the, the cultural factors, which, you know, are going to be leveraged to, to gain entry or to gain access to some sensitive information. So it, it, it's a field that's not only like just, you know, applies like a blanket across, you have these cultural yeah. layers to it as well. And, and you have to consider culture. You do. I, I, I did some social engineering work in Japan. Uh, I got invited by a really great company over there to come give a speech. And we were trying to um, open up social engineering services in Japan. And the people are just so trusting. They're so wonderful. Yeah. They're just so like, I, I just want to hug them all. They're just so, so trusting, but it's also the detriment, right? I can do anything, yeah. anything. I literally walked into a building and was like, Hey, I need to get into this room. And they just didn't even say why they just opened it up. They just unlocked it and opened it up. Like they, you know, and they're, yeah. they're thinking, and I asked why afterward, why? And they're like, well, why would you do something bad? Yeah. Right. And exactly. I'm like, I'm like, I, I love that you think that I love that there's still people <laughs> on earth that are like that. That gives me hope. But sadly, no, like I, I could have been a terrible person, you yeah. know? And, yeah. And, and it's like, and I found that refreshing at the same time, scary, terrifying, really scary, you know? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Also understand here, I mean, I'm shifting around a little bit that you put your, your powers and your work towards other things, other initiatives as well. And you started this nonprofit organization, the Innocent Lives Foundation, yeah. which has this clear mission to stop child trafficking and sexual abuse of children. Maybe you can tell me a little bit more about that initiative. Yeah. We had a job. Uh, this is going back probably about seven or eight years. No, maybe, maybe more, eight or nine years. Uh, we had a job for, for my company. And uh, we were to get into the company and then hack the network. And uh, during our, our looking around the network, we saw this one guy who was on the dark web to a called Tor. So I asked the director, hey, is there any reason why the person would be on, on the dark web in this department? He said, no, not at all. Can you tell us what he's doing? I'm like, only if you authorize a keylogger, I can install a little program on his machine that will log all of his keystrokes and we can see what he's doing. Yeah. And he said, do it. So we did. And it was a work machine, so we weren't at, at his home or anything. Yeah. And uh, we found that he was uh, using uh, corporate funds to to fly to the, the Philippines. He was molesting children. He was recording uh, him molesting children. And then he was uploading those recordings to the dark web to trade it with, with like-minded people. And uh, we set up a sting operation with uh, with FBI. Uh, he's in prison. He'll be in there for 150 years or more. Yeah. And it was the first time in my life, in my career, that I had this feeling of, well, I just did something. Like, yeah. you know, all the other stuff, all the other stories, they're fun, they're cool, they're, you know, the sexy factor. This was, I just did something. Yeah. It gives, it gives me goosebumps talking about it still. Yeah. Like, I just saved kids. Yeah. And I thought, I didn't, like, I'm like, that's not what I do. I'm not, yeah. I'm not a cop. I'm not an agent. I'm not a superhero. Like, I don't save kids. And all I can think of was this, this account. And I started telling people this story and I started telling, and when I was teaching classes, I was telling people and I had this young guy come up to me and he says, Hey, I volunteer with this organization that we do that. You know, we use our mm. talents to help find people who are trafficking children in, into America. And I'm like, I, I want to volunteer. So I did, I went and I volunteered for about a year there and I was just so motivated uh, in the way they did things and how they did things. But I said, we can do more. Mm-hmm. And I went to my lawyer and I said, Hey, what's the feasibility and the legalities of starting something that doesn't, because, you know, all these organizations, and I'm not cutting this, we need them, but they focus on the kids, right? And and I said, I want to focus on the predators. So I want to find the people who are making the material. I want to find the people who are trading children. I want to yeah. find the, 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 I hate to use the term, but the suppliers. The source. And right? I want to, yeah. dis- yes, I want to disrupt their source and their supply. Yeah. Yeah. I want to stop them on the dark web. I want to hunt them down and get them. In- but I said, I don't want to be a vigilante. Yeah. You know, you see these guys on Facebook that have their cell phones and they're out there and they're, you know, at McDonald's. Hey, you know, Ralph, why were you doing this to a kid? Yeah. 80% of those cases get kicked out. Uh, because they usually did something wrong. They didn't handle the undercover operations properly. And I said, that's not going to be us. Mm-hmm. So I said, we're going to use the skills that we have in this industry. We're going to geolocate and then identify people who are hurting kids, trafficking children, or creating child abuse material. And then we're going to hand that off to a law enforcement agency so they can go and do an arrest. And uh, six years we've been around and we've done 503 cases. Get out of here. So um, that's, that's yeah, it's impact. Uh, yeah, that's impact. And 503 cases that we handed in. We've actually done closer to 800, but yeah. we don't count the ones if we don't hand them in. Right. Uh, but we've 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 worked and handed in 503 cases, and uh, I, I can't be prouder of the the team. Yeah. I got I got five employees over there. Uh, we got 40 volunteers, wow. and um, and and an amazing board of directors, and we're just we're just. We're just doing amazing things. Yeah, and talk I'm, about purpose, I'm, I'm purpose really in your life yeah. and, and leveraging your yeah. skills and abilities to, to really, like you said, yeah. you know, impact the world in a positive way. Yeah, I, I couldn't even imagine what that what that must mean, you know, when you really, well, even, even if you could really comprehend that, I mean, considering that deeply, it'd be hard to really measure yeah. the impact of, of what you've done. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but it is, uh, it, you know, I, I, I at least... I know, like, I know this much that whenever it all ends for me, my kids will be able to look back and say, and my dad actually did some really cool stuff Yeah, and he really, and he helped people. Right. And if that's, if like that, that's much more awesome to me than having my kids say, my dad made a lot of money or my dad, you know, wrote a bunch of books. It's like, Hey, my dad helped save kids. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's, that's kind of neat. I'm, I'm okay with that. If they want to, absolutely. if that's my legacy, I'll, I'll be, I'll be good with that. And, and it does feel good. It feels good to know that. And that there's also, it's not just me, right? We have, like I said, we have these five employees. I got a board of directors. I got 40 volunteers and all of them are there for the mission. They all want the same thing, which is let's save kids from these horrible things that are happening to them around the globe. And we're a global organization. So we don't just focus here in America and we work cases no matter where they are. And if kids are in danger, 
and we can help them than we do. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Like I said, I can see purpose, fulfillment, all these great things coming yeah. from, from yeah. that nonprofit, but also too, like in considering your work, you know, the company that you own as well, like the value that you're providing there, you know, when you do hang it up yeah. at, at some point, you're going to have a lot yeah. to reflect on, a lot to look back yeah. on, I'm guessing here. So yeah, it feels good too. That yeah. does. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine so. I would imagine so. Well, we are moving on a pretty good clip here and we're heading into this middle towards the end segment here, a water cooler story. And you already kind of shared mm. one story, but I'm wondering if you have something else for us that you could share. Okay. So here's one that's, um, that's a little, it's a little sketchy because we didn't know how this was going to go down, but it was Ryan and I again, and we got hired to go break into uh, two banks in Jamaica, the country of Jamaica. Okay. And uh, I've never done any work in Jamaica, so I didn't know what to expect. And yeah. uh, we had done all of our research and found that they just had gone through a PCI audit. So that's for credit cards. And we knew the company that did the audit. So we had shirts made up with their logo on it. And we figured like that audit just got done a couple of weeks before. So we figured this would not be unreasonable to go in and say, hey, we, you know, we're just finishing up some last minute things for the audit that weren't done. And hopefully they'll let us roam around the building. Mm -hmm. But we get to our first bank, our, our driver, who, who was the contact there, he drives us to a parking lot across the street. And we are watching and out, uh, scoping it out. The place is surrounded by barbed wire fence. And their security guards are young guys on dirt bikes with shotguns driving around the parking lot. And I'm like, <laughs> why did nobody tell me this? Right? Like, why did nobody tell me that this was what, like, this is your security? And they're like, oh, we just thought you knew. And I'm like, no, that's not on the website. You know, I'm like, this is, this is terrible. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah. man. So Ryan and I are sitting there like, okay, like, these aren't trained military guys. These are young men with shotguns. I'm right. like, that doesn't make me feel safe. Right? Exactly. Like yeah, what we were speaking about <laughs> earlier, you know, like these guys, right. you know, in terms of like standing down and, and not shooting before, you know, unless somebody draws a weapon on them, like yeah. are these people a little bit more jittery when it comes to these things. None anyway. of that, none of that exists here. Right. Yeah. You know? Right. So I said to Ryan, okay, here's the deal. No, no, that's fine. I said to Ryan, here's the deal, man. If we get caught, you just drop to your knees. We put our hands up, right? No running. There's no running here yeah. because, you know, that that's it. Like, there's, we're not yeah. outrunning the shotgun blast. Yeah. But I'm like, let's see if we can give ourselves a leg up. So I get a young guy. To, I tell him, hey, I want you to walk in the bank and I want you to talk to the security guards about how to become a security guard. And he's like, why? And I'm like, I'm just going to give you 20 bucks. Go in there, talk to the security about becoming a security guard. He's like, whatever. So he goes in, he's having this conversation. And I grab my cell phone. And I say, Ryan, just follow me. And I'm like, hey, man, yeah, we're going to be right upstairs in a minute. We're finishing the audit. And I'm just talking like that on my phone, yeah. you know, as I'm walking in, nobody stops me. Mm. So we, we walk in through the metal detectors. We go upstairs, we round the corner and there's a woman badging herself into a door and the door says ATM testing center. So the door opens and I follow her in. Ryan comes in and she gets startled. She turns around. She's like, excuse me, what are you doing in here? Like no one can be in here. And it, and it's the, it's the place where all the ATMs are in pieces and they're plugging wires into them and they're testing okay. them. Like no outsider should be in there because as soon as you know, like what components are in ATM, then you know how to break it. Right. And I said, oh, we're finishing the PCI audit. And she goes, oh, okay. And she just walked away. And I'm like, well, that was too easy. Right. So we start looking around and we're plugging things in the network jacks and Ryan's taking pictures inside of ATMs. There's a guy over there with a computer. He's running some diagnostics. I walk over and I'm saying, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, show me what you're doing. And he tells me all about what he's doing, explaining everything. I'm like, I'm recording the whole thing the whole time. So we're in there like maybe 20, 30 minutes. So we leave and we see down the hallway is the call center, but it's locked and there's an RFID lock on it. And I'm like, well, let's just walk towards the door slowly. And if we hear someone buzzing out, then we'll rush towards it. So sure enough, as we're, well, this hallway was really long and we hear the buzz and the, I run down and I grab the door. Let me get the door for you. And he's like, oh, you're such a gentleman. So she walks out, Ron and I walk in and we, we kind of duck around this corner and there's a long hallway of computers and people sitting at them working. And there's a woman sitting at this computer right next to her is a computer that's turned on, but it's locked. Yeah. So I say to her, hey, I need you to put your password in this machine. And she's like, my password in that machine? I said, yeah, we're doing the audit. She goes, oh, okay. And she leans over and she types her password in the machine, which I was recording. I had my cell phone on record and I was holding it yeah. like this on my clipboard. Yeah. So I'm recording her with, her with her password, which we then got. I sit down at the computer. Ryan sits down at that computer and he starts hacking away at the network. Right behind us, a guy gets up and he leaves to go to the bathroom or something. But when he leaves, he leaves his badge on the desk. He leaves his computer on. So I walk over to that computer and I start hacking this, the, that computer. Five minutes go in and this woman comes out and she says, hey, what are you doing here? I said, oh, we're finishing the PCI audit. And she goes, oh, okay. And you can tell she was yeah. thinking. Like yeah. that wasn't, it wasn't off. like everyone yeah. else. 
Yeah. So she walks away. She comes back about three, four minutes later with another manager. And the manager says, who's your bank contact? And I had a name written down, but I completely forgot it. My mind blanked. And I'm like, um, um, and she goes, no, you should have known right off the bat. She goes, come with me. We're going to security. And I said, no, we're just finishing the audit. She goes, come with me to security. So, okay. We walk downstairs and we get to the security desk, the guy who we just blitz past. And uh, she says, these people are in the building and they have no authorization. Take care of them. And she walks away, right? So she leaves and the security guard goes, yeah, I saw you walk in, man. What are you doing? And I, at that point, I had really looked down and I got the name of the contact, right? Let's just say it was Mr. Smith. I'm like, my, my contact, Mr. Smith, must have forgot to put me on the list. I said, I'm going to call him and you can talk to him, okay? And I call our, our contact who's sitting out in the van, right? Yeah, yeah. And I go, hey, Mr. Smith, I were at the bank. You know, this is Paul and Roger, and I need you to uh, to give them the authorization. Did you forget to put us on the list? And I hand the phone to the security guard. Security guard gets the phone, and he's like, Mr. Smith? Yes, this is Mr. Smith. I must have forgot. I'm sorry. You know, here's their names. Please let them on the list. Let them do whatever they need to do. Guy hands me my phone back. Thank you, Mr. Smith. We'll call you later. Security guard says, well, where else do you need to go? I said, I need to go to the server room. Guy takes me down the hallway, (laughs) unlocks the door, lets us go into the server room. And he goes, do I need to stay? I'm like, no, you can go. We'll, we'll kind of finish the audit. We'll come out and tell you when we're done. And it was like, just cr- we, we left that building, went back to the van. I said, take me to get a drink somewhere. I'm stressed yeah. out, right? Like, yeah. get me the heck out of here and let's be done. We were in that bank probably for like an hour, hour plus wow. more, maybe more, maybe like an hour and a half. You know, it was like, we were in there a very long time. Yeah. And when we got out, the driver was like, I, I was wondering what was happening because you were in there very long. Yeah. Usually these jobs you are in and out. That right. was a really long time. So, uh. Yeah, that's a that's that's one of my crazy one of my crazy stories. Jamaica, and we didn't get arrested, and we didn't get shot. So there you go. The that's always a win. Yeah, <laughs> always a win. <laughs> yes. Well, you, you know what strikes me in listening to that story, though, like you know, how organizations would be susceptible. I mean, the professionals yeah. and what you do. Like you had lines, you had you knew what you were doing. Yep. Obviously, you knew what yep. you wanted and what you were doing, what you were saying, your actions, they weren't, you know, like they weren't in someone's face. It wasn't obvious. You, you, you're calm about it. You can see how these organizations, like it's easy to kind of cut them up. hundred percent. In reality, that's tough. It's tough to train people for that. Unless they have this specialized training, which, you know, probably most organizations well, you know don't, I, you know, like. I'm actually going to give you some credit on that one, because I think that's a good point. That's a really good point for people, for your listeners to hear. So I already told you, I sent 19 million phishing emails in my career. I've broken into banks around the globe, healthcare, all sorts of things. And I wrote five books on the topic. Yeah. I clicked on an actual fish, right? I fell for an actual fish. I was preparing for a conference. I had ordered a bunch of stuff on Amazon. I was late for the airport and I'm trying to pack my office up. And I get an email on my computer that says your Amazon order won't be shipped due to client credit card. Every one of those 19 million phishing emails, what I tell people is you never click the link. You yeah. open up your browser, you go to amazon.com, you log in, you check your orders. What did I do? Because I was stressed and I was frustrated. I clicked the link. It opens up a page, looks just like an Amazon login page. And I have a password manager that I use, which is the only reason I got saved because usually my username is in there, but Mm -hmm. my password isn't. So I put my cursor into the password box to have the password manager do its thing. And I noticed my username wasn't there. And I was like, well, that's weird. Mm. So I looked up at the URL bar and it was something, something.ru and it wasn't amazon.com. And I'm like, the Russians, they hacked me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I clicked on a fish. Then I go back and I'm reading the email. I'm like, that was a phishing email. I fell for it. So I tell people the story. This is what I do for a living. And I fell for it. So it's not about a stupid human. I hate when people say that. This is not a stupid human problem. This is a human problem, right? Now, will I fall for that again? I hope not. Mm. But is it a guarantee? No. So you find the right pretext for the right person at the right emotional time. Anyone is susceptible to this training and and stuff that makes it easier to not be susceptible, but it's never a hundred percent. It's the, the contextual factors, like you said. I mean, the emotions, yeah. the, the the moment, all these different things playing into yeah. it. Yeah, it can certainly influence. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good yeah, point. Hundred percent. Well, we do have this very last segment here, our crystal ball segment. As the name implies, we're looking towards the future and whatnot. We've already kind of spoken to this point a little bit, but. The work that you're involved in, you're perpetually in this state of managing new risk, new research that comes out on human behavior or new technology comes out. It's a new variable, as we stated earlier. And that means you got to kind of update, you know, the, the way you go about things, the way you teach things, so on and so forth. You know, what is that aspect like for you as an organization 
constantly living on the edge of all that. I, I imagine it could go down one of two ways where you're like, you're charged up by that, or it can be a bit of a nuisance constantly. You know, I, I'm thinking it's, you know, the former rather than the latter for you, but all the same, I'd love to hear what you think about that. I like the way you worded that because it, it could be both at times. Sometimes I, I do have days where I feel bleak. Like AI is the new biggest thing and we see it being used, right? Uh, yeah. There's a there's a scam going around America right now. I think it was Microsoft released a tool that with three seconds of audio can duplicate a whole conversation in someone's voice. Wow. So a bunch seconds. of bad guys got the three seconds. That's it. So a bunch of bad guys got this, downloaded some Instagram videos from some young girls, spoof a phone number, call the parents, say, we have your daughters. We're going to hurt them if you don't give us ransom money in the background. Mommy, mommy, help me. And it sounds like your daughter's voice. And they transfer everything in their savings, you know, $25,000 gone within minutes. Yeah. And it was all AI. AI fascinates me and I, we need to start using it to defend. But at the same time, it terrifies me, right? Yeah, so sure. I think it's, it's one of those scenarios where it, it can't terrify, if you want to be in this industry, it can't terrify you enough that you bury your head in the sand and make yeah. believe it doesn't exist. You have to spend time reading and learning. You have to. At the same time, you got to balance that. You got to be like, okay, what can we do? Yeah. Right. And, and maybe sometimes the answer is there's nothing we can do right now. And all we can do is be aware that this exists. Right. So right now that scam I just told you about, there's no answer to it. Nothing I can tell you. Here's, you know, here's what, what I, I tell to people and they say, well, what do we do? They're going to say to you, if you hang up, we'll kill her. Right. Okay. So what I would do, if you can critically think or get some, some critical thought, Usually you could put your phone on speaker and you can open your texting app and you could text your daughter, mm. right? You can say, are you okay? Yeah. I need to know right away, right? Yeah. For myself, uh, I set up a system with my daughter where she has a, a, a code word that her mm. only her and I know. So if I'm ever in that situation, I'll say, Amaya, what's the code word? Mm-hmm. And if that person on the phone doesn't know the code word, yeah. it's not her. Yeah. And now I'm going to feel free to hang up, right? So I set up a multi-factor authentication system mm-hmm. with my daughter to know that if anything like that ever happens, I know how to authenticate it is her. And we never speak that word. We never joke with that word. And she knows the rules. If you ever play around and send me that word as a joke, like this is all over. Like you're going to be grounded until you're 50, right? Like, don't, this is not funny because I will literally bust through walls. I will break through someone's house to come and save you if I have to. And, and we have apps on each other's phones. Like she can track me and I can track her, our geolocation. Okay. So that way we, you know, we took some preemptive measures to say, I want you to be safe. You know, I want you to feel that you can, you know, recognize me and we're going to set up these things to do that. So it's being aware of what the attacks are out there as technology advances and then coming up with solutions that help you be not the low hanging fruit until something happens. That means we can fix it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it kind of brings to mind conversation that I had with one of your employees, Dr. Abby Morano. Shameless plug time. I mean, for listeners that are enjoying this conversation, I certainly encourage you to check that one out as well. And she's a behavioral scientist. And we had a really, really nice discussion on a lot of points with what she does and obviously social engineering and whatnot. And one of the points that kind of comes to mind right now is that I think we were talking about the topic of AI and some of the ways that you guys go about dealing with this or how you're interpreting it. A lot of times you're relying on the research. So you have partner organizations or universities that you work with that will be researching these fields. And once that data comes out, then you have a basis at times to, you know, plot a course forward. But the problem lies in with AI or technology advancing so quickly, you don't have the data fast enough to keep up. And I think that might be kind of speaking to the point that you were just raising right there, which could present some challenges at times. And it's, yeah, I think that maybe that's part of the fear factor for a lot of organizations or people is we just don't know how to handle these situations just yet. Or that cat mouse game of technology hasn't caught up on ways to you know, offset what the uh, the malicious attacks are, are, are based on. I think that's a good point too. And, and I, I think for a lot of companies or families even that are listening, it can feel hopeless because there isn't an answer, right? Like there's no, I can't, yeah, I can't, not yet. I can't say, hey, go plug this into your home network and you're safe and your kids yeah. are safe. And I can't tell a company, um, just do this one thing I tell you and you're hacker proof. It's it's a constant battle, right? Yeah. And, 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 and when people get tired, I tell them, look, this is like your health. It's like, you got to think of, of security like your health. You don't die at once. Actually, I don't even want to use the word diet. You don't eat healthy once. You don't work out once. Mm-hmm. This is something you got to do. And when you commit to it, you got to do it for the rest of your life, right? You don't hit like 50 or 60 and go, well, I was healthy for the first you know, 30 years. Now I'm just going to stop. You have to do more as you get older, right? You have to, you have to handle it different as your metabolism changes. 
So security is just like being healthy and you, you don't ever hit a spot where you go, I'm done. I'm going to give up. It, you may adjust. You may like, you know, I, I lift a lot of weights now. Maybe there'll come a time where I'm like, I just want to walk. Right. So your security might adjust depending on your circumstances, but it's never, it can never just be, I'm done. I go away. It's a constant thing that has to constantly change with who you are and where you work and your times in order to, to stay on top. No, well said, well said. I've got to say, Chris, I mean, this conversation was just blown by and I've thoroughly enjoyed it from start to finish. All yeah, the stories, all the insights. Fast. It's been really, really great. And uh, yeah, once again, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Now, for those who are interested in learning more about Chris and his work, you can check him out a number of different ways. At his website, socialengineer.com, the Social Engineer Podcast, the Innocent Lives Foundation, his nonprofit as well as a number of different social platforms that he and his company are on. LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And for reference, all the information, including links, will be in the show notes. And hey, I mean, if you like today's show, please be sure to tell a friend and share. To show further support, you can rate, review, and subscribe wherever you access your podcasts. And lastly, you can check out these conversations on our YouTube channel. I do have video highlights of these talks over there and kind of taking the subject matter in a different way. And hey, if you do, I would really, really appreciate a like or subscribe. Now, finally, don't forget to join us on the next episode of Life As A, where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details of professions and the people behind them. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. Until next time, stay curious about life and living.